0: We're going to take a break this evening from our series of studies on Sunday nights on the kings of Israel and Judah. We've been hopping back and forth trying to follow them in a chronological fashion and just learning some lessons from these various kings. But I want to take a break this evening because on Wednesday evening, August 3rd, we'll have a business meeting that night where we'll receive nominations for our deacons Uh, election that will take place this year and uh, I want us to make sure that we have a good biblical understanding of what we're doing on that evening and not going in blind on that and I'm grateful for the deacons at our church we have three deacons that's what our church constitution calls for men I'm gonna have you stand Uh, sometimes people don't know who our deacons are we have Mark Bischoff and then right behind him is Steve Douglas And then over here on my right, your left, is John Perkins. And uh, this year, our deacons serve three-year terms, and uh, one every three years, or one one every year rotates out, and this year, it's Mark Bischoff's turn to rotate out, and Mark is willing to be nominated again and serve again. He's already let me know if if he's nominated and elected. He's willing to do that. Thank you, men. You may be seated, and um, uh, we're grateful for them. And so we'll be doing that here in just a few weeks and want you to be ready for that. You know, deacons' roles vary from church to church. Um, And I I want us to be biblical in our our deacons and what they do. Uh, But, you know, I guess depending on sizes of churches and what they're used to. I've been around some churches where the deacons run everything. I particularly wouldn't want to be a part of one of those churches, but I know they exist, and I guess they can exist okay if their deacons are good, but I don't like that order of things where they're in charge of everything. And, um, and then there's some churches where the deacons are hardly ever noticed, and you don't see anything about them. And um, uh, maybe sometimes in smaller churches, deacons would even fill a role, it seems like it's almost like a, a volunteer staff. Uh, my church in Pennsylvania where, that I pastored was a small church, a country church. We couldn't afford to have a staff, and so we had several deacons that were very involved in the upkeep of the of the building, uh, helping with visitation and and, and hospital calls and all kinds of things like that. Taking those roles that maybe at a church like ours we could have some staff that could do that. But I want us to see what our what 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 we should have expect here uh, in our constitution. This is the way it's been in there, I guess for many, many years. Uh, and page 13 of our Constitution, underneath the duties and powers of officers, by the way, our church believes in two offices within the church. We believe there's the, their office of pastors, called a bishop in First Timothy chapter three, but a pastor and the office of deacon. And uh, those are the two uh, official offices, although we do have a trustee board, uh, and then we also have a clerk and those type of things, a treasurer, but these two official roles of pastor and deacon. Our Constitution says this, the deacon shall assist the pastor in such manner as he shall request in promoting the spiritual welfare of the church, in conducting the religious services, and in performing of all other work of the church. They shall make provision for the observance of the ordinances of the church. They shall assist the pastor in visitation and all other other evangelistic efforts of the church. The deacon shall assist the pastor in caring for the administrative needs of the church's various ministries as requested by the pastor. They shall provide for the pulpit supply and choose a moderator for church meetings if the pastor is unavailable or or the office of pastor is vacant. Then upon the death, resignation, or dismissal of the pastor, the deacons may appoint a pulpit committee. And so you see in there, it says they assist the pastor. And again, I commend our three deacons. They've been a great blessing to me. They have been great helps, great supporters. Um, and, and I'm grateful for all three of them. And I believe that they meet the scriptural qualifications of a deacon. This term deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos. Are you guys, you took Greek, did I get close on that? Yeah. Diakonos. That's found 30 times in the New Testament. It's interesting. Uh, only uh, three times is it translated deacon. Uh, that word diakonos. Uh, uh, see, seven times it's, it's, it's uh, uh, written out or spelled out as Servant and then 20 times as minister. So when you think of those words, servant and minister, it gives us a better idea of what the Scripture thinks and wants us to know about a deacon, a servant, a minister. Now this evening, I'm going to give you some qualifications from the Scriptures for a deacon. And you may be sitting there thinking, well, I'm not going to be a deacon. What's, I'm just going to tune out tonight. Uh, these qualifications would be great qualifications for all of us. 1 Timothy chapter 3 has qualifications of a a bishop. Those would be great things for us all to strive to be, Uh, followed by that of a deacon. Those would all be great qualities and characteristics that we should all strive for. And so I'd encourage you, this is not just for deacons. These are biblical ways in which we should live our lives and what we should be known by. And we want to make sure that it is true of our deacons. So let's consider some scripture this evening Beginning in Acts chapter 6, we'll read the first seven verses and give you a few thoughts from this passage of Scripture. Then we're going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 in just a few moments. Acts 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables wherefore brethren look ye out among you seven men of honest report full of the holy ghost and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business for we will give ourselves continually to the to prayer and to the ministry of the word and it goes on to tell how they did this and who they came up with here in the next things and verse number 7 says the word of god increased And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly and and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So they did this and God blessed this and the church continued to prosper and continued to grow. Although we do not see the term deacon in this passage of Scripture, it's very clearly understood to be describing where the role and the ministry of deacons were introduced in the early church. Uh, the church at Jerusalem had experienced an explosive growth thereafter, uh, Acts chapter number 2. The church is, a, is growing by leaps and bounds. They're estimating right now that the church at this time was probably running close to 10,000 people, and Then, by the time uh, at its peak, they believe the church could have run nearly 100,000 people. Amazing growth of this church in just a short matter of time. And as you can imagine, it was difficult for the apostles and for the pastors, the preachers, to oversee all that was going on. And some folks were being left out. And it was starting to cause problems within the church. And so the men said, listen, we need some assistance. We need someone to come and minister alongside us. And so they asked the church to search out seven men. Now, the number seven, I do not think is... Is a significant number that, it's, that a, a church must have seven deacons. Uh, there probably are churches that they have seven deacons, and there are churches that have less, like Heritage. And there are churches that have more than seven deacons. I don't think the number is significant there. Um, the church here at Heritage for years has had three. It's also stated in our Constitution uh, that we'll have three deacons, and one is rotating out every year. Uh, my church in, uh, uh, in, in Pennsylvania, a smaller church, we didn't, we, we, I think we had four deacons. Even though we were a smaller church than Heritage, we had one more deacon. Uh, the church I pastored in Columbus, uh, when I started that church or we restarted the church, there was no one that was technically qualified to be a deacon. So for a long time, we had zero deacons, even though it's a scriptural position we weren't going to compromise on the qualifications and we had to wait on the Lord till he brought individuals that could fulfill that role. And when we found that and we had that, we brought those people in and they became that, uh, they filled those roles. And so the number seven I don't think is a, a number that we must have. It's just what the church at Jerusalem felt that they needed. But you will notice that they said, Search out, you out among you seven men of honest report full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. And so let's consider those three things there. They were to search out men, first of all, that had an honest report. Uh, to, to state this another way it would be one who has been witnessed or observed by others to have a good report. And this was dealing with a man's character. They could look at an individual and observe that individual, witness that individual and say, that's a man of good character. We're going to get into some more spiritual aspects here, but this would be a good starting point for you. As you consider, as you would pray about, if the Lord would lay somebody on your heart about nominating for this role of deacon, well, let's start, are they a man of character? Character. Is it someone that you've seen, you've observed for a period of time? Perhaps we have someone new in our church. We probably haven't had an opportunity to observe them in a, in a long fashion, and I would encourage to wait on that. doesn't mean that they're not qualified, but there's somebody that we should have observed and we should have witnessed that has that type of character. And so we're looking for men of character. And then it says that, they are full of the Holy Ghost. Of course, every individual that is saved, that's born again, they, uh, they have the Holy Ghost indwelling them. They, the Holy Ghost resides within them. But there's a difference between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Ghost. This is a a, 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 a a position of man to be filled with the Holy Ghost means that they have submitted themselves to the Lord and the Lord is in control of their life. If you would turn over to Ephesians chapter five for just a moment, let's consider this thought of being filled with the Holy Ghost. Ephesians chapter number five. And you'll look with me at verse number eighteen and following. The Apostle Paul says to the church at Ephesus, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. He's speaking to believers here. So he's not speaking about one's salvation, but he's speaking about how one would live their life, and they were to live their life filled with the Spirit. It's interesting that Paul will use the example here of not being drunk with wine wherein is excess, when someone is involved in wine and, and excess of alcohol, that alcohol controls that individual. That alcohol will make them do something that would not be normal part of their character. They're controlled by another substance. And there was reasons why Paul probably used that example here to the church at Ephesus. But he then contrasts that with this thought. Be filled or be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit control your life. And that comes through submission. That comes through surrender. That comes through that individual saying, Lord, I want you to control my life. You read beyond these verses, verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. The Spirit-filled person will live a life of praise. That'll be a, a characteristic or a mark of their life that they're, they're living a life of praise. Verse 20 says, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Savior, our Lord, uh, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the spirit-filled person lives a life that is marked by thanksgiving, giving thanks for all things. Verse number twenty-one: Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. The spirit-filled person lives a life that is marked by submission. And then we get into a lengthy passage here on Christ and the church, and the the the, the husband and the wife, both to be examples of one of the uh, of the other. Uh, the Christ in the church is an example of, uh, of a husband and wife relationship. And an ideal husband and wife relationship models that of Christ in the church. And it's marked by love. It's marked by sacrifice. It's marked by this, this mutual submission. And so this spirit-filled person lives a life of praise, thanksgiving, submission, and love for one another. And so when we're considering this person, this deacon... We're asking, are they controlled by the Holy Spirit? Whereas we're talking, first of all, about an honest report to, about their character. Now we're asking about their spirituality. Can we see them as a spiritual person? Do we recognize them as a godly and spiritual uh, submitted person to the Lord? And so they're to search out men of an honest report, their character. Men, uh, uh, search out men uh, full of the Holy Ghost, their spirituality, and then he says, and of wisdom, or full of wisdom. They're defined men that had, were marked by this quality, this characteristic of wisdom. Now, wisdom is different than knowledge. Knowledge can be gained through books and, and through uh, uh, education. But wisdom is something that is gained from God. Again, it's a a spiritual exercise. James reminds us in chapter number one of James, verse number five If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. You lack wisdom, you can get wisdom. Anybody can. And God will give it to you. I frequently pray for wisdom, recognizing that I'm not capable of, uh, of of making the decisions or counseling individuals without the help of God. And I'm grateful that God will give wisdom to those that ask of Him. And we're looking for people that are not just uh, uh, smart, not just uh, 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 able to solve problems, but they have a mode or a a, 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 a quality of wisdom in their life. I'm grateful for individuals that when you hear them talk and when you hear them uh, try to figure out a situation, they go to the scriptures. They say, well, think about this scripture here and we'll compare that. That's that's a sign of wisdom. And so we're looking for people of good character, of spirituality, of, of godly wisdom. Now then, later on, Paul writes to Timothy and he gives some more qualifications or maybe some more spelled out qualifications that we rely on in this search and in this desire to choose the right individuals. So turn to 1 Timothy chapter number 3. We'll spend the remainder of our time this evening in this passage of scripture where I believe there are nine different characteristics that, that Paul points out in 1st Timothy chapter number 3. Let's read verse 8 down through verse number three, 13. Excuse me. It says, Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. and Let these also first be proved, and let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless." Even so must their wives be grave, not a slander, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well, well, purchased to themselves good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. We'll divide these nine uh, qualities into three different sections. The first section is in verse number 8, where he gives us four thoughts on personal character. Again, character is an important quality that we must consider about a person. What are they known for? What, are, what have we recognized in them? And the first word that he gives us here says, likewise must the deacons be grave. This is an interesting word that holds several different ideas of it. But it means that they were held in respect, they're honorable, they're men of dignity, good reputation, and even it means serious-minded. That doesn't mean that that individual has to walk around and never smile and never enjoy a joke or a laughter of those type of things, but they're people of a serious nature as well, recognizing their role. And so again, you're looking for this type of an individual that has this honorable, dignified, good reputation, serious minded. Let's consider the second one of personal character here where he says, not double tongued. This would deal with hypocrisy, it would deal with not being two faced, one that doesn't twist the truth when it speaks of the tongue, Uh, truthful, not a gossip. In fact, the word not double tongue means specifically not repetitive tongue, someone that's going to hear something and then state it again. It's an important aspect of the deacon ministry. We want someone that can hold their tongue, someone that will not take what they hear and share it loosely or casually, Sometimes they may be privy to some sensitive information, some things that maybe someone's confiding in them specifically on some things, and so those things must be held well. And so that is important for us to consider those with their tongue. I'm going to talk here for a few moments here on this next point of not giving too much wine. Before I get into this, I will state this. Heritage has always taken a stand against alcohol at this moment heritage still takes a stand against alcohol and it's my prayer and my desire that for as long as i'm the pastor here and into the very far future if the lord tarries that heritage would not go down this trail of compromise that seems to be very prevalent today of christians and of churches loosening their stand on this uh, on, this, on this area of alcohol. I'll say more on this, but we are in a time when uh, this, this, this doctrine that has been held tightly for many years by many uh, Bible-believing churches is, has come under attack. And, and to compare the wine of today with the wine of the Bible, it, it's, it's where we first come to a big mistake in this. To compare what the wine of this day, what they labeled wine, to what the wine is today, or of alcohol, any alcohol today, it's far from the same thing. It's not even like comparing apples and oranges, because they're, they're, it's not even of the same uh, fruit or whatever in that category. It's like comparing something that are completely opposite. Wine of the Bible was, was very much watered-down uh, uh, wine. It was, it was water that just had a little bit of wine in there, and that wine was used to use as a cleansing agent. They did not have uh, filtration systems. They did not have purification systems for water. And many people suffered with stomach problems in these, in these eras. In fact we'll even learn about it with Paul with Timothy where he encourages him to take a little wine for thy stomach's sake. And this was a cleansing agent more than anything else it was. and these individuals uh, and so and even in that the, the scripture does go on and it condemns drunkenness and, and, and for these people to to, to, to completely uh, absorb themselves in the wine of the bible 's day, they could become drunk, but it would take an excessive amount and so, in these things here the the pastor should just avoid it at all cost, not given to wine in chapter three, verse three. the deacons not much be careful with it, so we 're not even going to go down this path that it 's an option for the deacons to drink it 's not what it 's talking about here it 's telling you be careful, be wise. And when you take the whole of Scripture, there's far more evidence that we should abstain from alcohol than there is that we should partake in alcohol. So church, we would encourage you to consider those. And men, if you're nominated, I would ask you that you would be in support of this this thought here, that you can be in agreement of we're taking the stand against alcohol. Scripture, I believe, is against it. And I believe if you look at history, it'll tell you that alcohol has done more damage than it has ever done good in our societies. And let's take a stand against that. So to be grave, not double-tongued, not given to to the wine. And then it says, not greedy of filthy lucre. Uh, This is speaking about finances. Uh, This is speaking about money. This is speaking about dishonest gain or a greed of money. Of course, the Scripture is not against money. Uh, the Scripture is not against anybody that has been successful, that might be considered rich, but to have the greed of money, the, uh, the desire for money, that that overwhelms a person. That's the danger. That's the part that is the greed of filthy lucre. And so we would want this person to have the right mindset on on the, on the finances. We would consider that this deacon would be a faithful giver in the offerings of, uh, 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 of their church here, a faithful and generous giver. Now, a generous giver doesn't mean that they have to give a certain amount, but they're faithful how God has blessed them. And, uh, and so they're, they're known in this fashion. And so this speaks to their personal character. And then we get into verses 9 and 10, and this moves more into a Christian service. Notice verse number 9. It says, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. The mystery of the faith, holding this mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. This is speaking to one's understanding of the Bible and the basic Bible teachings. Uh, This is someone that has an understanding of the Word of God. Again, this might be one reason why someone young in the Lord, we might want to say, let's give them some time to season. Let's give them some time to grow. Doesn't mean that a young person could never be a deacon, but we want them to have a good handle on the scriptures. Doesn't mean they have to go to Bible college, doesn't mean they need a Bible degree, but that they need to have a good handle of the scriptures. I would also encourage our those deacons that they could say that they're in support of the doctrinal statement of Heritage Baptist Church, as that would be something we would want you to support and uphold. So that speaks of their understanding of the Scriptures. Verse number 10, says, Let says, the, Let these also first be proved. This is, again, is speaking of someone that has a track record. We should not elect someone that we hope will acquire these characteristics. We're looking for someone that's already there. We're not saying, you know, I think they have potential to be that. That means someday they could be, but right now we want them to already be active in these things. Let these also first be proved. So we're not looking for people that we think could be what the Bible's describing here, but already is what the Bible is describing. Then he brings up the thought of being blameless in verse at the end of verse number ten, then let them use the office of the Deacon, being found blameless. This goes back to their reputation and character again. What are they known for? This is not calling for perfection, but would we characterize their how would we characterize their spiritual lives? Would we say that they are known to be spiritual, or are they known to be shady? Is there some things of concern? And so we would look for a blameless aspect. And so this would go more towards their Christian character. Uh, the first part was more of their personal character. And then this last section on verse 11 and 12 deals with family. Now, verse 11, let's speak to that for a moment. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderous, sober, faithful in all things. We do not have uh, an election for deaconesses. Uh, we don't have uh, deaconesses in our church. The wives are not under being elected that evening uh, uh, for, uh, of, of, of anybody that would be uh, being voted on. But I think it is good for us to consider the family aspect of each person you would, you would ask. Again, there are times when a deacon's wife will be privy to some things. And so she is described as one that would be grave. She should have a good testimony reputation. She's not a slander, doesn't have a problem with her tongue. She's sober, which means she's calm and temperate and circumspect. She's watchful and discreet. And she's faithful and trustworthy. These are aspects that would come of showing that uh, this deacon has a good control as the leader of his home. And so, again, we're not voting on any ladies that evening, but I think it's something for you to consider as you consider the men that you may nominate. Verse number 12 says, Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. Uh, The husband of one wife. This is one of two meanings. Number one, it's the husband of one wife at a time, or you could take the approach of there's no divorces or remarriages in that man's life. This is, I guess, uh, would vary from church to church. You may have been a part of a church that has a different view than heritage, I have personally always taken a more conservative stance on this and Heritage has also taken that same stance and it's on our Constitution on page number 5 and we've taken the stance historically here at Heritage that the deacon does not have a divorce in his background. And so he's not been divorced and he's not been remarried. Now when I say that, I want to be quick to say that I'm not against, I am against divorce. I don't want people, I don't want husbands and wives to get divorced. But I'm not against divorcees. I'm not against people that have been divorced. I understand that divorce has, happens. Uh, there are many reasons behind that. And I believe there's great opportunity for people. And God still wants to use them in areas of ministry. But again, we've taken this higher Stance this 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 more strict view on this, and for those reasons we've we we're asking for individuals that have not been involved in this, uh, or have not had a divorce in their background. There's another aspect of this: husband of one wife that I think needs to be considered. It is men that we are looking for men that are faithful. Uh, one person called it a one-woman man. He's not a flirt. He uh, doesn't have wandering eyes. He's not involved in anything else uh, uh, that would be uh, uh, take him his eyes and his thoughts away from his wife. We need men of a high moral character when it comes to this aspect. Of course, many men have fallen not just in a deacon's role, but in a pastor's and a preacher's role. Because of not having control of this area of their life. And so men, we would want that to be something of uh, where you are, are, are doing well in that area. And then this ninth aspect, also with this, is ruling their children well at the end of verse number, uh, verse number 12. ruling their children in their own houses well. Now we are not looking for deacons with perfect children. Or else, we would never find any right and so that 's not what it is speaking about here. I read this, I think last year, and I liked this this thought. The implication here is not that their children must be perfect or without struggle, but that they have been nurtured correctly, instructed biblically, guided safely, and disciplined appropriately. Uh, there are, are times that our children are going to make. Poor choices, even though they've been brought up the right way. And so it's not a, a, a final condemnation on anybody, but we want to see how has he ruled his house? How has he ruled his children? Has there been appropriate guidance and direction and discipline? And so again, ruling their children well. Church, this is an important decision, this is an important aspect of our ministry, and it needs to be taken seriously. And I would ask that you would pray about this over these next few weeks, and if the Lord lays on your heart, uh, it would be awful if that evening we got up here and there were no nominations, no one took it seriously, no one's prayed about this, no one's talked to anybody. It would be a poor, uh, a poor uh, aspect or poor reputation for heritage if that were the case. So I'd ask all of you to pray about it. Lord, would you want me to nominate? And I'd like you men to pray, Lord, if I'm nominated, would I be willing to serve in this role? Do I meet these qualifications? Now tonight, we could all look through this and we may be like, wow, I I fall short in all those areas. And there's something great for us to strive for and to grow towards. And I'd encourage you to do that. If you want to nominate somebody, I'd encourage you to go to them prior to nominating them. <laughs> Ask them first. Don't let them be surprised as everybody else that you've called their name out that Wednesday evening. Go to them and say, hey, I believe the Lord's laid you on my heart. Would you be willing to pray about this and consider this and give them the opportunity? And if they say yes, then you can nominate them on that Wednesday night, August 3rd. After that, there'll be a time of interviewing. I'll talk to each of the nominees. I remember last year we had an individual that was nominated and uh, a- after talking with them, they, they voluntarily said, I don't think I have the experience yet for this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to withdraw my name. And it was a very humble and, 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 and mature aspect to do this. And so I, I need some more seasoning. And it gives us an opportunity to go through some interviewing with them and to be sure they're, they're ready. And so uh, talk to them. Uh, if they're in favor, nominate them. We'll go through an interview process, and then there'll be a follow with a vote. And a couple of weeks after that, we'll go over all the percentages and all the things that will happen during that time. But again, would you be praying about this? It's an important aspect of our church. Remember that in Acts chapter 6, they were to choose out those seven men. They did so. And then God blessed the church. There was growth. There was blessings that followed after that. So church, let's take this seriously and let's pray about it and let's be involved here. Secondly, you're not going to be a deacon. You're a lady in here tonight. Uh, You just don't think you're, you're... Still great qualities to live up to, isn't it? To strive to be. Perhaps you heard something this evening, you're like, wow, I need to work there. I I know I'm struggling in that aspect. Well, why don't you pray about that this evening? Why don't you ask God to help you to get victory in those areas? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this evening. And uh, Sarah's going to come and play a verse of invitation for us. It's an opportunity for you to pray. I know tonight wasn't necessarily a come to the altar type of a message but perhaps the lord really tugged on your heart on something the altar is available to you this evening we're here to pray with you the lord's been dealing with you in some aspect perhaps just there at your pew you spend a few moments talking to the lord this evening father i pray you take these few moments of an invitation Lord, use them in our hearts and our lives speak to us and help us to be obedient to you lord in jesus name Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. As Sarah begins to play, the Lord spoke to your heart. You respond.